Welcome to Rockbrook Church Podcast. Today's message is part of a series called Building Your Life on Values That Last. We know that God designed values for us to live by and to give us meaning and purpose in this life. We would love to hear from you and how God is using this message to give you a new perspective and hope. Email your story to church at rockbrook.org. Hi, Rockbrook. Good morning. Oh, I'm so excited you're here today. I'm excited to preach. Don't you love fall? Somebody say yes. It's so beautiful out today. Love this season. Love this uh, season in our church. Earlier this week, we got to gather as a church staff with some, a few other churches we have a relationship with and talk about what it means to be a healthy church and balance God's purposes in our church and our lives. One of them is a church plant uh, we're supporting in Chicago and just love seeing the body of Christ come together in those ways and just wanted to thank you uh, for your commitment to Rockbrook. Thank you for giving so that uh, we can uh, do things that are uh, even bigger than uh, what's going on here. Excited to see those things bear fruit. Um, I just love the season our church family as we are an intense in an intense season of spiritual growth that we call a spiritual growth campaign uh, where our Church is aligned from kids to adults, weekend services to small groups. We're building around 10 godly values. We didn't just pull these values out of thin air. They're rooted in scripture. They're rooted in the Ten Commandments, rooted in the life of Jesus. And I've got a stack of commitment cards uh, that sits on my desk that you guys sign uh, that I look over, pray over as we start a new value each week. And thank you for your commitment uh, to grow in this season together each week of the campaign somebody uh, just a few people even each week just tell me pastor ryland this is my week like that's god knew i needed that this was my thing that's how it kind of works in a campaign is it's all good but there's a, you leave with a few that you really hang your hat on and that god knew that you needed and uh, this week we're going to be looking at a value that we as americans are very passionate about in some areas of our lives and could not care less in other areas of our lives. It's the value of purity. For instance, we all want pure air to breathe, pure water to drink, pure food to eat, but some of us will just let anything into our minds and our hearts and our lives. I have watched people freak out at a restaurant if there's like a bug in their food or a hair in their food or some impurity, and then like in the same conversation, tell me about the most disgusting TV show they watched without changing the channel or a thing they were involved in without getting up and leaving. It's just some b- bombarding us all the time. We get desensitized to it. It used to be that you had to go to an adult bookstore to get pornography. Today it's piped into our homes and our life every day, internet, television, and streaming, and course what we hear on radio and talk shows and podcasts and social media and smartphones have brought some good things uh, but they've uh, certainly enabled uh, a sex-saturated society and the temptations haven't changed. I'm not saying that. Human nature hasn't changed. It's all the same. There's nothing new under the sun here but how we view it, how we access it has changed and with new technology the world is different. Come on, when your grandma said log on she was cold. And so things have changed. <laughs> hey, let's look at this passage in 1 Thessalonians today. It says, God wants you to be holy and what? And to keep clear of all sexual sin. For God has not called us to be dirty-minded, 
full of lust, but to be holy and clean. Now, when I read this verse, I ask myself, good grief, is that even possible in today's culture? Is, is this commandment what God wants for me? Is that, even, can that, is that realistic? I believe it is. Let me tell you why. If you've ever gone ocean fishing and caught a fish and prepared it, or you've been to a seafood restaurant, got a fish, what, it, you, you have a fish that's grown up in a culture of salt water. Every moment of its life, it's surrounded by brine, water that is so salty, if you drink it, you are to get sick. Yet when you catch that fish, you prepare it, you sit at the restaurant with that fish, what do you do? You put salt on it. Isn't that amazing? The same God that can keep a fish in an environment of salt its entire life, yet not be affected by it, can keep you in a polluted world and keep your mind pure. Absolutely, he can, yes. The thing is, as Christians, we normally tend to go to one of two extremes on this. Not in your notes, but one of two extreme reactions we have is imitation. To where we'll say, well, I'll just be the same as the world. And I'm just going to adopt uh, the perversions and adapt to everything else. Or the other extreme is isolation. Where I'm just going to build a bunker and I'm going to close my life off to all of this, and I'm not even going to interact with anybody from the world or anything at all, and I'm become a nun or a monk, I'm going to live in a monastery or, or, or a convent, and we isolate ourselves. But no, the answer to living in this world is not imitation, be like everybody else. The answer is not isolation, don't be in contact with anybody else. The answer to being pure is insulation. Insulation, that just like God can insulate that fish and keep it in a briny environment, yet not let it get salty. God can keep you in a polluted world and keep your life and your mind and your heart pure. How? And this is what I love about the Bible. This is what I love about God. Is God doesn't just give you the command and say, fend for yourself, see you later. No, he gives you the how. He gives us how to do it. So let's look at how scripture is going to help us stay pure in a polluted world. And the first thing is we've got to make a commitment to what? To God's standard. This is where this whole series started. Make a commitment to God's standard. Have you noticed that God says several things in his word that are not very popular? God says a number of things, particularly about sex, in his word that you may ask, why does he say that? Here's why. Because he knows more about sex than you do. He does. He understands the implications of sex far better than you do. And we've just got to come to a moment where we decide, God, you know what's best for me. And even more than that, you want what's best for me. You love me and you're not trying to harm me. You're trying to help me. So I'm going to make a commitment to do what your word says to do rather than what I think is going to best meet my needs. I'm going to come to a place where I understand you want to meet my needs, God. And when it comes to sex in the first place, God invented it. And when he invented it, he put some parameters around it, some standards, some guidelines, some guardrails. And God's standard is very clear. Regardless of what opinion polls say or anything else, God is clear and we see it, we know it. Sex is more than physical. It is more than physical. Sex is a spiritual act with spiritual consequences. Not only that, sex has emotional consequences it has social consequences. It has legal consequences. If sex were just physical, it would be just like a handshake. And it wouldn't matter who you had sex with. It would never be wounding. It would, ne it would just none of those problems because, well, it's just physical. 
but we know it's more than physical. And the problem with sex education in the schools, parents, you need to hear this. The problem is not that they teach too much. It's that they don't teach nearly far enough. Sex is not just anatomy. It, it, it's a, just it's a matter of physics. It's a physical thing. No, it's more than that. Sex is more. There is social, scientific, legal, spiritual, emotional dimensions in addition to just the anatomy. And God says it's more than physical. This is why the Bible says it's exclusively reserved for a man and a woman who are committed to each other in marriage. God says if you want to have amazing sex, shame-free, guilt-free, disease-free, it's reserved for a man and a woman in the context of marriage committed to one another. Anything outside of that, sex before marriage, outside of marriage, anything else is going to have profound consequences on your emotions, in your spiritual life, in your physical life. Why does God say that? Why does God put parameters around sex? Same reason a city puts a do not enter sign at the end of a one-way street. Is that there to limit your freedom? Is that there to tick you off? No, it's there to protect you. And God says, I love you. I want to protect you in this. I've given you a gift. Here's how to use it. That's why I'm talking about it today, because I love you not to restrict your freedom. Look at this with me in Psalm 119.9. It says, how can a young person, or anyone for that matter, stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? How can we have great uh, uh, emotions when it comes to sex? Everything else, how, can it, how, how do we ha- be pure by living according to God's word? Sex is not bad or dirty. Sex is good. God thought it up. It's holy. It's spiritual. That's why it's to be done according to his standard. And making a commitment to God's standard takes great courage. It, it does not take a lot of courage to follow the crowd. It doesn't take a lot of courage to march against God's ways for marriage. It takes courage to stand up and be a person of conviction and character for what God designed it to be. And once you've done that, regardless of the mistakes you've made in the past, once you've done that, uh, you're ready uh, to move on to the next step. That's number two. That is to manage what? I've got to manage my mind when it comes to pure living. Anytime you see someone really messing up their life, it didn't start with the actions, it started with their thoughts. We think dumb things before we do dumb things. Every time. The way you think determines how you feel. The way you feel determines how you act. Have you ever heard me say that before? You feel a certain way because you're thinking a certain way, and then it comes out in an action. Proverbs 4.23, this is our memory verse for this week. Read it out loud with me. Come on. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. So if you ever want to change something about your life, you want to break a bad habit, you want to have a breakthrough, change your life, you don't start with the outward thing, with the habit. You work on what caused it, the thoughts and the feelings that produce that action. That's where you start. You don't live, you live from the inside out and you have to start there. This is how you fall into temptation. This is how affairs happen. Nobody comes home one day just out of the blue and says, oh, I slipped into adultery today. No, there were cracks chinking, like there were cracks in the glass along the way. It starts with thoughts. It it starts long before the physical act takes place. Little decisions have been made that lower the barrier, 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 all of a sudden, it's very easy to walk across it. 
It starts with this. First, I accept sinful thoughts in my mind. What would it be like to go to bed with that person? I wonder if it's so wrong. Does the Bible really say that? Did God really say that? And you start having doubts and you start having fantasies in your mind. And some of you have been fantasizing, what would it be like to be married to that person? And you think it's harmless. It's not harmless. Those thoughts produce feelings. Why do you think that thought again? Because it produced a feeling that you like. And after a while, that feeling will produce an action. Second is emotional, non-physical involvement. So I start with my mind, I'm thinking it, now there is a feeling, there's an attachment, and this is where, I mean, flirting starts happening, or different gestures that say, I'm available, and then comes the act, the physical involvement, and after that, what do we do? We rationalize, we justify our actions, we say, well, everybody has this time in their life, their season in this life, everybody acts like this at this age, or we're two adults, or or, or, no, that's, that's not what Scripture really, really says. And we rationalize our actions. 2 Timothy 2.22 uh, shows us how to break these steps. Say these first three words with me. Turn your back. Turn. Turn your back on the turbulent desires of youth. And then give your positive attention to goodness, faith, love, and peace. This is how you break the cycle. The way you stop is you turn your back on what you're thinking about. This says you have a choice. You don't have to give in to temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to give in to temptation. And how do you not give in? How do you break the temptation? You turn your back on it and you replace it with something else. You have to replace it with something else. If you only turn your back and just try to resist, 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 that's all you're thinking about. You have to focus on a new thing. Got to get on with your life. Got to have a new mission. Got to have a new goal. Now, I've referenced several more verses there to help you uh, with managing your mind, with guarding your mind. Uh, But one of the more practical ways you can do this, if you want a pure mind in a polluted world, is to monitor your media intake. What you feed your mind is just as important as what you feed your body. Could you live a healthy life physically on a diet of Dr. Pepper and Twinkies? No, you couldn't. The moral equivalency of a Twinkie I'm sorry, but it's most things on Netflix and Prime. It just is. And on television, on streaming, you are taught through exposure, through exposure, through exposure, that the only good life and the only good sex is outside of God's plan for sex. And therefore, you've got to monitor your media intake or it's going to indoctrinate you. Your cornea is going to develop your character. What you watch and listen to is going to determine what you are and who you become. And the problem with most stuff on streaming, most stuff on TV, and a lot of things, is it lowers your resistance to understanding what is right and what is wrong. Have you noticed that on television, sin is glamorized? When people go to bed on TV, rarely do they have warts and wrinkles and (laughs) problems and moles and... It's just all the fat is in all the right places. <laughs> and then as I show you the immediate shame, the immediate fallout that happens as soon as it's instant gratification and then the gratification is over. It doesn't show you that part. It doesn't show you the results of sin. 
And it gets us to laugh at stuff that God says, that ain't funny. That's not funny. Psalm 119.37 says, keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. Now, I have found that for adults, where a lot of this comes in is through our news media. That much of the news media has just become a sophisticated version of all the other vile and vulgar stuff. And before you click on the headline, before you listen to that show, before you turn on that channel, you've got to ask yourself, is this really what God has called me to think about today? Is this really what God created my mind to dwell on? Is this why he, he let me live another day to think on that? Psalm 101.3 says, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. So we've, we've got to up the ante on this. We've got to we got to put this barrier back in that we guard our mind through monitoring our media. The fourth way we can do this, stay pure in a polluted world, is minimize the opportunity for temptation. That means I don't place myself in a situation where I know I'm going to be tempted. I minimize the opportunity. If you don't want to get stung, you stay away from the... Thank you. If you don't want to get burned, stay away from the... Yeah. Here are three verses that can help you with this with minimizing temptation in your life. It's three different ways, three different verses. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So be careful. If you think, I would never do that. I'm too old for that now. Been there, done that. Oh, that's not really going to be a problem for me. Let that be a warning. For you too may fall into sin. And people tend to think, the longer I'm a believer, the less I'll be tempted. The, the time, time has nothing to do with it. The time you are a believer has nothing to do with conquering temptation. Jesus was tempted. How long had Jesus been a believer? Time has nothing to do with it. People think, well, just, I've been a believer for, for so many decades that I'm not going to I'm not going to be tempted no, conquering temptation has everything to do with how, work, how hard you've worked to develop that skill, not just how long you've believed in someone. Okay? It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in to, to temptation. And if you're thinking, I would never do that. The Bible says the heart is deceitful. That means my heart, your heart, means we don't even understand the motives we often have. We can't understand ourselves half the time, much less anybody else. And given the right circumstances, I, Ryland Walter, am capable of anything. And you are too. And if you don't think that, friend, you're already in trouble. Because the enemy is crafty. And his mission statement is, I have come to steal, kill, and destroy. So if he couldn't get you that way, maybe he's trying a new way. And you've got to remember the spiritual battle that you're in. 1 Corinthians 15.33 gives us uh, another way. It is bad companions ruin good character. You gotta choose your friends carefully. It's a well-known fact. Most affairs occur between couples who already know each other. That means you better make sure that your closest friends are as committed to their marriage as you are committed to yours. Or you may be setting yourself up for some unnecessary temptation. And Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. How can I apply that to conquering temptation? What does that mean? That means if the line you don't want to cross is out here and this, this is the failure, well, there were a lot of hints of, of sinful actions that got you to this line. So you don't put the line here. 
You put it way back here. You put a guardrail back, way back here. This is the people who make it to the finish line. Not, not that line, the finish line. This is the people who make it. The pastors who make it, the believers who make it to the end without a moral failure, they put the line way back here and they say, uh, they, they put not even a hint. I'm not gonna talk to someone of the opposite sex about my marriage problems. I'm not gonna be alone with someone of the opposite sex. I'm not gonna go out uh, to lunch to eat with them. I'm not gonna have late night phone calls with a coworker of the opposite sex. You put those barriers in place, those things in place where there's not even a hint because that's where all that stuff begins. How else can we do this? How else can we do this? Number five, I've got to maintain my marriage. Maintain my marriage. A growing relationship with your spouse will reduce the pull and the attraction of other relationships. And the problem why people get, fall into temptation after they get married is because they stop dating in marriage. They stop doing the things that they did before that made that person a magnet. And we stop doing the things that spark the romance. What happens is men tend to get married and think, mission accomplished. <laughs> mission impossible. Can't believe I did it. Don't know how I got her, but I did. And now it, it moves on as a naturally task-oriented, goal-oriented guy. I got to provide for this woman. I've got to make a place for us. Got to make a nest for us. And these children that are going to come, I've got to provide. And so they take all the energy that they spent wooing the woman and it gets turned, oh, I've got to hoof it. I've got to hustle. I've got to work on the house. I've got to get this job done. I've got to do all these things. And all the energy spent wooing is now spent providing. It's spent on other projects. And the woman's thinking, where are the dates? Where are all, where's all the time we used to spend talking? And the woman's thinking, bait and switch. <laughs> and he's thinking, before we got married, Good grief, she could not keep her hands off of me. Now she doesn't have time. Now we have to put the kids first. Now she's got a headache. A guy was going to bed one day, and he gave his wife two, two aspirin. And she said, what's that for? And he said, that's for your headache. And she says, I don't have a headache. And he said, I gotcha. <laughs> and the guy's thinking bait and switch, too. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Come on, have you, do you remember how to laugh? Do you remember how to take a joke? Do you enjoy life with your spouse? I know there's some things that drive you crazy, but come on, you married them for some reason, like you like something. Do you remember how to enjoy them? Do you remember how to enjoy life with your spouse? Have you forgotten how to romance one another? 1 Corinthians 7, 3 and 5 just gives us some, just some practical wisdom on this. If you want to live pure in a polluted world, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Now, why does it say that? Because that's, that's the only outlet for acting out sexually. See, the husband and the wife. So do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Why? So that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If the magnet's at home, you're not going to be looking elsewhere. I had a whole section here of, uh, I was going to give you of suggestions on how to maintain your marriage from Christian biblical counselors. Uh, good stuff like kiss passionately every day. But I'm going to sum it all up with this statement. Look up here. For many of you, if you took only the time 
you spent complaining about your marriage or fantasizing about something else, and you took that time and put it into working on your marriage, it would be a lot better. You already have the time. You already have the means. You got to redirect it back to your spouse, back to your marriage. This one's not in your study, by, study guide but I'm, or, or in your small group this week, but I'm going to add it in today. That's number six. Magnify the consequences of sin. Now, why did I add this one? Because the enemy, when he tempts you, he's going to minimize the consequences of sin. And he's, he's going to get you to think, is, is it really that big a deal? Did God really say that? Did the Bible really say that? Is this really that big a problem? Then after you sin... He maximizes them out of control and says, you're worthless. Your damaged goods, your life is over, the world is over. Neither one is true. And you've got to beat him at his own game. When he comes to minimize the consequences of sin, you've got to remind yourself that, that you've seen the broken hearts. You've seen the broken families. You've seen the rejection. You've seen the damage that it does to souls and minds. Proverbs 6.32, but the man who commits adultery is an utter fool. Why? Because he destroys himself. He wasn't doing himself any favors. He was working against himself. James 1.14-15, classic passage um, on the consequences of sin. Temptation comes from our own desires. So it starts with the thought, which entice us and drag us away. It creates this feeling. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. It always ends in a dead end. Why does God have this message in Scripture? For Why am I bringing you this message today? Because I want to spare you this pain. God says, I want to spare you this pain. Nothing damages your emotions more than sexual sin. God made you to be a sexual being. He made you a woman or he made you a man. God says, that's good. He made men to be men. He made women to be women. And, sex, and since your sexuality invades every area of, and every part of your life, it's not just a physical act. I've talked to so many people who've said, I wish I could roll back the clock. I wish I could go back in time. Say, I'd do anything to, to spare someone else of the pain that I've experienced. And this is why God's standard has never changed. This is why when you build your life on God and his values... You're building your life on values that last. They're not going to change on you. These parameters, these standards, premarital sex is unacceptable to God. Always has been, always will be. Living together without getting married is unacceptable to God. It dishonors marriage. Always has, always will. Adultery, being unfaithful to somebody you're married to is unacceptable to God. Always has been, always will be. Homosexuality is unacceptable to God. Always has been, always will be. Pornography is unacceptable to God. Always has been, always will be. And if you have been guilty of one or all of those things, you have come to the right place. Because Rockbrook is all about a, being a place that you can find healing, Forgiveness, restoration. So how do, you, how do you get back on the path of purity? Does God give us a chance to start over? Does he give us a chance to come clean? The path back to purity. God says, I'm the only one with the power to do it. I'm the only one. 
So what's the path back to purity? First, it starts in the mind here as well. It starts with repentance. I've got to repent. Repent. Repentance means I change my mind about it. So I come to God and I say, God, you were right. I was wrong. That was sinful. And I agree with you. David did this in Psalm 51. It's his prayer after he committed adultery. And the important thing you do is that you do it now. If you're in the middle of an affair right now, this is it. It's over. It's dead. It's done today. Quit cold turkey today. You don't go home and say, I'm going to phase this out over the next three months. No, you go home and you make one phone call and that's it. And that phone call is, I will never see you again. I will never talk to you again. It's over. It's wrong. It's dead today. You don't phase out sin. You don't play with sin. You kill it. It's done. Then you can receive forgiveness because God isn't holding anything against you. And God's not going to remember this the rest of your life. You come to him, it's been finished on the cross. And God says, I want to release you from the shame and the regrets and the hidden hurts and the pain and all the stuff you're carrying. God wants to forgive you and wipe the slate clean. And the good news is once he's forgiven you, you can forgive yourself. You can be released from this because you say, I'm not God. God is God and he's forgiven me and he has the final word on my life. And then what do you do? You refocus and replace. You, so you turn your back and you focus on new things. You get on with your life. New mission, new goal. I'm following a new thing today. And number four, request help daily. <laughs> because we all need help daily, amen? Galatians 5, 16. It says, walk in the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We walk in the spirit, we request his help daily. I want to close with this verse 1 Corinthians 10, you're going to study this in your small group this week. You're going to do a study method on it and everything else. It says the temptations in your life, they're no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. So is there any temptation that's impossible to not give into? Yes, he will give you. When you are tempted... He will show you a way out of every sin so that you can endure. Let's pray together. I want to pray for you today that I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Father, thank you for giving us uh, this gift of sexuality. Thank you that you made men to be men, made women to be women. Thank you that your gift used in your way produces great results. I pray today, Father, for those who carry shame because of a failure in this area to deal with your standards. I pray that you will help them realize that they do not have to carry that shame a single second longer because today, right here, they can receive forgiveness and cleansing and a chance at a new start to be pure. May we leave here with new resolve to live our lives pure before you. Now it's your turn to pray. Say, God, you know what I've done. You've seen it all. You know all about me. And I thank you that you love me. And I ask you to forgive me. Clean out my life and give me a fresh start today. Today, dear Lord, I want to make a commitment to your standard. Regardless of what anybody else says or what the rest of the world does, I want to live according to your word. 
Thank you for your help, God. Now, if you're sitting next to your spouse, would you just reach over and grab their hand? Pray, Lord, help us. We love you. We love one another. But we recognize today that the enemy would love nothing more than to destroy our marriage. Help us to understand the temptations and the pressure we experience so that we can be a team. Uh, we just remember today that the, the fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against a great enemy. And we don't want to fight against one another. We want to fight for one another. We need you, Lord. And we're bringing uh, this marriage to you today, asking you to repair it, asking you to, to breathe life into it so it can sail farther and faster than we ever thought possible. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.